Thank you very much. So today we're going to be looking at uh, some of Jesus' teaching on how we handle our resources. And we're going to be looking at Luke 12, starting at verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you've prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. Then Jesus said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, do not worry about what your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. And he goes on at verse 30. For the pagan world runs after such things, and your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and all these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I want to speak today about how to loosen your grip and expand your reach. How to loosen your grip and expand your reach. And I think today is going to be a significant day for us as a church. It's one of the privileges of my role that I get to see on a daily, on a weekly basis, the difference that we are making as a community to the city of London in all sorts of ways, in supporting uh, the least, the last, and the lost, in coming alongside those who are homeless with our night and day shelter, in supporting and encouraging those who are in difficulties with their marriages or in the workplace and in introducing Jesus to people for the very first time in their lives. I think today will be a significant day in the life of our church, but I also think it has the opportunity to be a really significant day in the life of every one of us here. And that's because I believe that Jesus' teaching on money and possessions is every bit as important as liberating and as life-giving as his teaching in every other area. But if I'm honest, I haven't always felt like that. Someone once said, the truth will set you free, but first it will really annoy you. And I think I look back and a few years ago, if I'd have been in a church like this and someone had been on the stage saying, you know, who knows and loves God? I'd have been like, yes. And if they said, you know, who wants to worship God with all of their lives? I'd have been like, yes. If they'd said, who loves Jesus more than their family? I'd have thought of my little brother and said, yes. Uh, and if they'd said, you know, who wants, who wants to give their whole lives to God? I'd have been like, yes. So they said, who wants Jesus to be Lord of their lives? I'd have been like, yes. If they'd have said, who wants Jesus to be Lord of their finances? I'd have been like, is this a hypothetical <laughs> question? Or are you asking me to do something in real life? Because what did Jesus actually say? And what does it actually mean for him to be Lord of my life? It's quite a complex error. I need a lot of time to think about this. I'm not sure what the implications of that question might be. I think I found it very difficult because I saw my money as mine. But it's mine. 
I learned it, I gathered it, and I didn't like the idea of letting go of it. My money gives me a measure of freedom, power, and control in what can sometimes feel like an uncertain and confusing world. In anxious times, it gives me a sense of security. And it's actually intertwined with every area of my life. I think why this is, this is why Jesus spoke so much about money, not because he's interested in money, but because he's interested in you. And money is intertwined with every aspect of your life. We used to say when I was working as a lawyer on cases, we used to say, don't forget to follow the money. Because if you followed the money, you would find out what sometimes people's hidden or unarticulated values, priorities, passions, interests were. Because your money tends to follow your passions. Your money tends to follow your loves. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So Jesus is interested in what you do with your money because he's interested in you. And he wants to know he has your heart. And I've actually found Jesus' teaching in this area so practical, so challenging, and so powerful. It's transformed my everyday life. Some of the most important decisions I've ever made in my entire life have been in this area. They've opened up for me huge areas of opportunity I could never have anticipated and blessing I could never have dreamt of. They didn't seem like that at the time. They just seemed like small acts of obedience, but often great acts of faith are built through small acts of obedience. And actually, I don't think you've got a huge amount of chance of living a thriving and full life in London in 2018 unless you allow this teaching from Jesus to take root in your heart because it's only when your eternal perspective shapes your earthly decisions that you get the best of both worlds. So first, the first thing we see here is the importance of loosening your grip. Loosen your grip. And in London in 2018, generally speaking, there's lots of relative affluence. There's great freedom and choice and opportunity. But as a generation, people tend to be more anxious and worried and restless. It feels like money gives us the hope of happiness, but it never actually delivers. So we become anxious and we're tempted to grip more tightly to what we do have while at the same time wishing we had more to find that peace and happiness. And I've done that and it never occurred to me that the path to greater peace and joy might be to loosen my grip rather than to tighten it. Jesus says to the guy who comes to him, the guy who comes to him is worried about not having enough inheritance and wanting more. And Jesus says, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life doesn't consist in the abundance of possessions. It's like saying, watch out. Greed creeps up on you. I tell you, in all the years I've been a pastor, uh, people have come to me uh, to talk about their struggles um, uh, in, in, in the workplace, to talk about their struggles with sex, their struggles with alcohol, their struggles with drugs, their struggles with relationships. I can only think of one guy, a young guy in his 20s, who has ever come up to me in that time and said, I think I'm really struggling with greed. I just always want more. See, no one thinks they're greedy. I don't think I'm greedy. I've never thought that. And 
I didn't think there was any risk of that. I didn't think of myself as rich or greedy because, you know, when I looked around me, the people I worked with, they had Bentleys and I had a Ford Fiesta. So I thought, you know, there's... And you'd be in conversations where you'd think, actually, there's, there's no, I'm not actually that rich at all. I remember being in one conversation where um, people were talking about the price of fuel and moaning about it. And I remember thinking, actually, it's not too bad. I'm, I'm, I can fill up my Ford Fiesta for about 40 quid. And, um, and they were going, it's really bad. And I said, well, how bad can it be? And they said, well, last year I spent 600K on fuel. And I was thinking, what are you driving? <laughs> and they said, well, do you know how much it costs to run a Boeing? And I was like, a Boeing? <laughs> They weren't filling up a car with petrol. They were filling a private jet with kerosene. They were like, it's a lot of money. It's like, my heart bleeds for you. <laughs> so tough. I mean, but that's, that's the difference. You look, there's always someone to look at and think, well, they're rich. They're a bit more greedy than me. They have a bit more resource than me. But what was happening was that I was earning more and more money and accumulating more and more resources, and it had started to get a grip on my heart. And without me realizing it, it started to occupy more and more of my head. It started to occupy more and more of my focus and my time and my energy and my thoughts. I would think about money a lot of the time. And if there was a crisis or a difficulty, I wouldn't think to pray. I would think, how can my money solve this problem? I trusted in my money. And it kind of crept up on me subtly. And Jesus talks about the deceitfulness of wealth. And I wonder, do you realize that money will deceive you? The money in your hand will lie to your face. If you don't have enough money, it will say to you, if you had a bit more, you would be happy. If you have more than enough money, it will say to you, if you had a bit more, then you would be happy. And it's so subtle. I mean, the story Jesus tells, the land produces an abundant crop, but the thing is, abundant blessings don't always lead to an abundant life. And this guy's response to these blessings is to hoard them. It's crazy. All this seed that could be sown and distributed, he hoards it, he grips them close, and he ends up completely focused on himself. I don't know if you noticed as I read it, I thought to him, he thought to himself, what shall I do with my crops, my barns, my surplus grain? I'll say to myself. And it's so subtle. It so, happens so easily that we can be focused on getting and keeping. I don't know if you've ever experienced this. That sometimes there's a lot of pressure to kind of accumulate stuff. Like you might think, I'd really love somewhere nice to live. And it's a good thing. There's nothing wrong with these things. You think, oh, I really need a house. I'm going to focus all my energy on getting a house. And then you get a house and you think, well, actually, it's nice to have a house in London and a house somewhere else. So you get another house and, um, and you kind of get that. And then you think, actually, I need to drive to my house. So you think, you know, maybe I'll get a nice little car. It's got to be a nice enough car so people at work don't think I look ridiculous. And, um, and you get a really nice car, so you get hold of that. And then you think, I can't really enjoy these things if, unless I've got a bit more accumulated money. So you start to get some disposable income and you gather all that together. And it's actually quite hard to keep track of all the stuff you've got. And you need a phone as well, because what's life without a phone? And of course you need a bowler hat because I assume this is what lots of people wear on Mondays, but I don't know. Um, but, but Jesus talks about, you know, clothes and things like that and you kind of gather all this stuff and what happens is you become more and more focused on the things in your hands more and more focused on your needs less focused on other people's more and more focused on your purposes less focused on God's purposes and you start to accumulate more and more stuff and blessings which were entrusted to you you tend to grip tightly 
just because they take up so much of your focus. And the thing is, the tighter you grip your blessings, the smaller your world will become. Look at this man. He starts with abundant blessing. He ends the story Jesus tells entirely on his own, having a conversation with himself. The tighter you grip your resources, the more your world will shrink. But it doesn't have to be that way. You can release your grip. Say, actually, yeah, I have been blessed with all sorts of things. I've been blessed with houses. So I can kind of see how I might be able to use that resource. I've been blessed with a Porsche, which is smashed. And you can (laughs) distribute it. I've been blessed with disposable income. And actually, I don't need to hoard it in my account. I can sow it and see how it might grow for the kingdom and what God might want me to use it for to expand his kingdom. You know, you can use all these things for yourself entirely or you can use them and distribute I don't know what good that is, but you can distribute it in some way to help grow the kingdom. You can take these things and you can release them. And as you give generously, your world starts to grow because you start to meet people you would never have otherwise met. Opportunities start to come. We're told that as you sow generously, you reap generously. In all sorts of ways, God, who's a generous giver, gives you everything you need so that you might be generous on every occasion. Why? Because it's who he is. He loves a generous giver because God is a generous giver and he wants you to be a generous giver. This isn't some kind of add-on to the Christian life. This is who God is and what God does. God loves so much, he gave Jesus for you. Jesus loved you so much, he gave his life for you so that you might know love and joy and peace and freedom and eternal life. And when you see that, when you glimpse that, it changes things. Because then you can start to take your eye off your possessions because you realize you are his treasured possession and his eyes are firmly on you. You can start to release your grip on the things you have in your hands that give you a sense of value because you know he has given you infinite value. And he's taken hold of you and what he takes hold of, he will never let go of. When you see that, it changes things and you can loosen your grip. But then how do you expand your reach? I mean, you have to loosen your grip to expand your reach, but that's not all there is to it. And if I'm honest, I used to see giving to the church as kind of like an obligation I just had to perform. Like it was just part of the package deal. I like coming along, I like the worship, and it was part of just things you did at church, was you gave to the church. Like it was almost like a church tax. And because I saw it that way, I found a number of obstacles in the way as I tried to do it. Firstly, I found it surprisingly hard to actually do it. I was really happy to think about it. I was really happy to play around with percentages in my mind. I was really happy to have conversations with my church leadership about uh, whether we talked about it enough or too little or too much. Really happy to engage on that level. But when it actually came to giving, I always found there was a bit of a barrier. It never really seemed like a good time. I was trying to establish myself in my career. I think it's not the right moment now. Or then, you know, I was was, was trying to kind of do other things. And I, I just thought, well, maybe... Next week, next month, next year. I'd say, thanks so much, Pastor. Inspirational talk. Really challenged by it. What's for lunch? 
But the thing is, I started to realize, if, if, I, if I couldn't be faithful with a little, why would I be faithful with a lot? J.D. Rockefeller said he would never have given out of his first million if he hadn't given out of his first paycheck, which was just a few dollars. You might, and you might be people here today, and you feel called to earn and make a lot of money so you can be really rich and generous towards God. That's a wonderful thing if you feel called to do that. But it starts today. It starts in the small things. And then I wasn't sure how much to give. I really wanted someone to sit down and say, Stephen, you need to give this much. This is the amount. But no one would. And I'd heard about tithing, this really helpful biblical principle, that you give the first 10% of your income to God. Um, it's mainly in the Old Testament, but Jesus does refer to it. But, but he suggests it's, it's kind of... It's too limited. Like he expands it. It's interesting. You know, the cross changes everything. Jesus didn't give part of his life. He gave his whole life. I find it a really helpful target, but it's, it's, Jesus is asking us to give all of our lives to him. And there's been times when, like now, tithing really is costly for us. And there's been times when, if I'm honest, I haven't even noticed it leave my account. Hasn't been nearly enough. But what I find is, if I aim at that principle, then I always surpass it. But if I kind of leave it very vague, it always comes in low. And then I would say it's too complicated. This is a genuine question for me. I went up to my pastor, Tony, in East London, and I said, Tony, it's far too complicated. He said, what do you mean? And I said, oh, so complicated. He said, what's complicated about it? I said, well, well is it before or after tax? Is it gross or net income? Is it income or also capital? Is it this financial year or this calendar year? Because actually, that can make a difference to me. <laughs> He's really kind. He just looked at me and said, Stephen, are you asking what's the least you can give and still be a generous giver? I said, yes. <laughs> and he is so kind. He said, um, he said, Steve, what, you're on a journey? Why don't you just start giving? Why don't you start stretching that generosity muscle? and see what God does with it, and see where you end up. And I did, and I'm so thankful I did. Because I hadn't realized it, but I had seen giving to the church as like a payment you have to make, like a tax, rather than um, like a privilege. Look, I love Jesus a lot, and I really love the church, but I hadn't really connected my giving to the church with my love for Jesus. And I kind of believed the lie that what I gave to the church didn't make a difference. I used to think, I'm not sure the church needs my money. Like sometimes because my capacity to give was so small, and even if I really stretched, I thought, what are they going to do, like buy one tile of carpet? How is this actually going to help anyone? And it just didn't feel like much. But you know, if you give a lot out of your little, out of the little you give, God can do a lot. There's a spiritual principle here. Great works of faith rest on small acts of obedience. But there's also been times when my capacity to give has been so disproportionately large. I was a little bit worried if I gave all I could, then I might swamp the church with my finances, and I didn't want to give it a whole new set of problems. Like, you know, they worked really hard on this budget. I don't want to mess it up. But you need to hear whether you think your capacity to give is very, very small or great. I, I realized that my spiritual need to give money to the church 
was far greater than the church's financial need to receive it. It really made a difference to me. My financial need to give was far greater than the church's financial need. My, my spiritual need to give is far greater than the church's financial need to receive. Because there's a spiritual reality to all of this. There's a spiritual battle going on right now over the destinies of people's lives right across this city and this nation. There's a spiritual battle going on over my heart. And when I give generously, it kind of frees me up from all this stuff and opens up the opportunity of God moving in my life in a new way. But it also releases resources for God's kingdom. And for a long time, I don't think I realized what a life-changing principle and privilege this is to be part of God's purposes in this way, to invest in God's kingdom, to, to invest in treasure in heaven, that, that, that giving to God isn't a, a payment to be made, it's a privilege to be enjoyed. And then one day, when we were in our kind of mid-twenties, Beth and I went away for the weekend and we were staying at a place and just over dinner, we are chatting with some people we didn't know at all really, and one of them just mentioned in passing that they, the year before, had been on a trip, a mission trip to an area of the world, which is probably one of the most three dangerous places to go if you're a Christian. Actually, I think it's probably the most dangerous place to go. And he'd gone there because he'd been invited to go and tell people about Jesus who had never heard about Jesus. And some people had, had responded. And as he shared this, something in my heart kind of stirred. And I just said to him, well, when are you going back? And he said, oh, I, I, um, I, we can't go back. I said, well, why not? And he said, oh, the, the funding fell through. And then the conversation just kind of carried on. And the rest of the meal, I was just sitting there thinking, they've got to go back. They've got to go back. Someone's got to do something about this. I mean, not me. I'm like 20 for. But like someone senior with resources and income, they have to do something about it. And I was getting more and more agitated about it. And then it came to the end of the dinner, I just kind of grabbed him and I just said, look, I, I just, what kind of sum are you talking about? And he was kind of a bit surprised, you know, he's kind of person in their 20s. He kind of said, said, oh, it's this. And Beth and I went back to our hotel room and we looked at each other and we knew we had that much, more than that much in our savings account right then and we just knew what we had to do and we, we just wrote a little check and sent it off and they went and I tell you something changed in my soul that day because it suddenly hit me I cannot believe God would invite me to partner with him in this way like you know what am I a vapor of breath I'm here for a very short space of time you know, our lives are just gone in an instant. And I turned up at church the next Sunday, and I usually lean out, like it's not my responsibility, let just thing tick up on its own. I was leaning in. I was approaching our pastor saying, what is it we need to do? What do you need? Tell me what your vision is for this city. I need to know, because I want to be part of it. Because I cannot get over the fact that the Lord of all the earth, Jesus Christ himself, is building his church in this city and he might want us to be part of it, that I might be able to participate in that, that the one who breathed the earth into being wants to partner with me in building his church, I want in. I don't care how much it is. I don't care if I can give a little or I can give a lot. I don't care if some's involved are massive or they're really small. I just want to know what you think God is calling us to do as a church. And I want to get right behind it. I want to come alongside you because I can't believe that I would have this privilege of participating. And I think that now when I look at this church, when I look at the ways in which people's lives are being impacted right across the city, people being set free every Sunday in prayer ministry, 
children and youth being raised up in the knowledge and love of Jesus Christ. Marriages being restored. Leaders being trained and released. The least, the last, and the lost, the poor, the oppressed, and the marginalized being gathered in death advice, in our night shelter, in our day shelter, given clothes and food and advice to get into work. When I see those lives being transformed in that way, right across this city, and then I see that we're at this church in this city at this time. I can't believe we have the privilege of being in London in 2018 at this church where God has positioned us in one of the most influential cities on the face of the globe at a critical moment in its history when people from across the nations are gathering here. People come from nations where you get imprisoned if you speak about Jesus Christ, and they come here. And they might be here for a year, they might be here for two, but while they're here, we have an opportunity to hold out the gospel to them. It's a city in which it has doubled the average number of people in their 20s and 30s, an age group in which people are particularly open to hearing about Jesus Christ. And they're here, maybe for a year, maybe for two, I don't know, but it's urgent. And while they're here, we have the privilege, the opportunity of holding out the gospel to them. You know, to be of all places you might worship, to be at the church which has pioneered this thing called Alpha, which last year alone reached 1.5 million people around the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's not separate from you. It's not different from you. You're connected to it. You're part of it. You know, just, just this week I heard a group of church leaders in Syria, we've haven't been able to get it. We've been, Alpha has been run in Syria, in the heart of Aleppo. You know, they've been running Alpha courses where people have to get there through rocket fire over the, during this most, one of the most brutal civil wars the world has ever seen. Got an email this week saying, actually, would, would, would someone bring a team to train church leaders to run Alpha now in Syria? That's happening right now. I can't believe we get the chance of partnering with that. 8.1 million people in this city don't go to church. We could be anywhere. We're here. And I want to know, what is it we can do to reach? Currently, we're reaching hundreds of people every term. People who don't go to church, people who've never encountered Jesus Christ are coming to know him every term. I'd love that to be thousands. I'd love to see thousands of people right across this city who've encountered Jesus Christ and are shining as lights for him in their workplaces, their schools, their universities, their homes, their communities. To think that we get the chance of doing that. To think that we get the privilege of partnering in that way. I mean, there's, there's, there's nothing wrong with any of this stuff. It's good stuff. But one day, it'll be worthless overnight. And we have this opportunity to convert it to invest it in seeing the name of Jesus lifted high in our church, in this city, and right across this nation. In Jesus' name, amen.